hopefully you noticed a common thread. If you don't, maybe I can help bring that point out here before we're done. Well, church, we have been here before. Just four years ago, we started off the year looking for a pulpit ministry. That year, 2020, turned out to be just a little interesting in our entire world, and we certainly pray that trend doesn't continue this year. But here we are again. Now, some of us weren't here. Now, actually, I, I guess I need to rephrase that. None of us were here. We started out at a different spot four years ago, but here we are again looking for a pulpit minister. And so while it's a bit of deja vu, uh, it, it's not the same. Because for this family, at this place, at this time, it's a new experience for all of us. And we're facing this together. We would, as, as Robin prayed, we would ask that you continue to pray for God to send us the right person for this family, for this position here. And we plan to have an update in, in maybe a week or two about where we are on that, the progress of that search. And, and we've got some men lined up from the local area that have agreed to come in and help us out and fill in this pulpit on Sunday mornings. And we've got men from this congregation that have volunteered to help us as well. And we appreciate them stepping up and using the talents that God's given them and their willingness to preach the gospel to us and bring us messages from God's word. There we go. As Josh said, I, uh, it's, it's time to talk about New Year's resolutions. Now, I don't know if you're a resolution kind of person. We, we used to be. We have been in the past. And we're just a week into the new year, and I'm not even going to ask, how's it going? The most popular resolutions, and Josh hit on some of them, have to do with health, have to do with diet, have to do with our weight. Maybe our numbers, maybe it's our blood pressure, maybe it's our cholesterol, maybe it's our A1C. It has something to do with that, that kind of aspect of our lives. Maybe, as he said, it has to do with fitness, exercise. We're going to take care of our physical bodies more, better. I asked my sons to help me put together a plan that would help me lose weight and, and be a little physically stronger. And they assured me, they said, Dad, it's not your absence in the gym that's causing you as much problem as it is your presence in the kitchen. And I think I understand what they were saying. That's my problem. Maybe it's, maybe it's your habits. Maybe there are habits that you want to incorporate in your life, some good things you want to do. Maybe it's some bad habits you want to reduce or eliminate. Maybe you want to volunteer more. I saw one list that had on their top ten they wanted to floss more consistently. Probably wouldn't have made my top ten list, but there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe it's lifestyle. Maybe you want to read more. Maybe you want to be on time. I already talked about social media. Maybe you are done with social media and you're getting off. Maybe you've never got on. In 2024, you said, yep, going to do it. 
Maybe you want to reduce stress. You want to be happy. You want to get organized. Maybe you've got school goals, college goals. Maybe you want to get married. Financial always comes upon the list. Maybe you want to save more. You want to pay off debt. You want to give more. You want to buy something. Maybe you want to retire. That one's looking better and better to me. Family comes up. Maybe you want to spend more time with family. I saw one that said they want to spend less time with family. Hopefully, you don't have that kind of family. Maybe you want to be a better parent, a better spouse, a better child. It's not surprising that in all the lists I saw, spiritual matters didn't crack the top ten. But maybe we want to read through the Bible. We want to study more. We want to be more forgiving. We want to be more faithful. I recently read that only about 37% of people now make goals or make resolutions. And 87% of those people really believe that they'll be successful at meeting or achieving that goal. But the sad fact is, about 80% of them give up by about mid-February. And the reason most gave for giving up was that there was no clearly defined goal and no accountability. At your job, you may have to set goals for you or for your department. And the first thing we always say is it's got to be written down. It's got to be a written plan. But I found another acronym that the other day, and I thought it interesting. They used the word SMART, that you got to be specific, not vague. you got to be specific, not, not a broad goal. It needs to be measurable. You need some way to measure your progress along that journey. It needs to be achievable or attainable. Is this something that you have the skill to do or the talent to do? Or do you have the abilities or, or can you develop these skills throughout the year? It needs to be relevant. Is it something that fits you for this time in your life at this point? And it needs to be time bound. It doesn't need to be just open-ended. There needs to be an end date on it. And that gives us something to shoot for. It provides us a bit of a sense of urgency. We used to hear of the 2190 rule. Do something 21 days, it becomes a habit. Do something for 90 days, it becomes a, a, a lifestyle. Now, recently I read most people don't subscribe to that 21-day part of the formula anymore. They say that's a myth. It says now that recent uh, research that I read said it takes 66 days for something to become a habit. Some studies even say it's somewhere between 18 days, and this is probably where I'd be, 254 days. Some, but, but if you subscribe to that 66-day formula, and if you, if you give up by mid-February, about six weeks into that process, you're not giving enough, yourself enough time. So maybe, maybe patience needs to be on our list. 
Do we need resolutions? Do we need goals? Do we need plans or targets? Should we make plans? We've heard it said, I've even said it myself. You want to hear God laugh? Tell him your plans. Some people say, well, that's just not me. I, I'm not a goal-setting kind of person. I'm not good at it. I, I don't want to do it. I'm more of a free spirit. I just take life as it comes. And their lives probably reflect that kind of attitude. Author and motivational speaker Zig Ziglar said years ago, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. I think God's word will bear out that the fact that we do need to make plans. We need to be sure that we make them with our focus on being pleasing to our maker. And that way of life, that type of attitude should be reflected in even how we talk. We need to say things like James did, like he encouraged us in James 4.15. Whereas you should say, if the Lord wills, we'll do these things. What does God say? God's, God's will has, uh, God's word has a lot of things to say about plans. We read in Jeremiah 29, God says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you hope, to give you a future. The psalmist says the counsel of the Lord stands forever, his, the, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. Proverb writer says in chapter 16, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. He goes on in, in verse 9 of that chapter, the mind of a person plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. God's word tells us other things, gives us insight that God's planning for us. Psalms 32, 8, we read about God instructing us, teaching us in the way that we should go, advising us, keeping his eye on us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, if we trust, if we don't lean on our own understanding, God will make our path straight. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, the Apostle Paul paraphrasing Isaiah in Isaiah 64, 4, says God's preparing things for his people. Our Lord himself, when he was here, the night before he was being uh, going to be betrayed, John 14 says he's going to prepare a place for us. Sounds like God makes plans for his people. So we need to understand where we are today, how we got here, and where we want to go. Hopefully we're not like this guy on the screen. Will Rogers was quoted as saying, good judgment comes from experience. And a lot of that comes from bad judgment. Mark Twain said it this way, Experience comes from bad decisions, but it doesn't have to be your own. We used to tell our, our boys when they were growing up, a smart man learns from his mistakes. A wise man learns from somebody else's. Don't make the same mistakes that we did. But our lives today are the result of a lifetime of decisions that we've made that have gotten us to this point. We probably all heard of that definition of insanity, you know, doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Or maybe you've heard it phrased this way, if you do what you're always done, you're going to get what you always got. Are we happy with where we are today? 
Are we okay with us at this point in our lives? Sometimes we need to do a bit of self-reflection, a step back and take a look at our lives and see how we're doing. And that self-examination is especially needed. Matter of fact, it's critical in our spiritual lives, spiritual lives. Because we never find ourselves, or at least we shouldn't find ourselves saying, I made it, I'm here as a Christian, I have arrived. Our spiritual walk is a continuous journey as we should be daily allowing God, the molder, to mold this lump of clay into the kind of servants he wants us to be. As we think back, just looking back the last couple of years, in 2022, we focused on evangelism with here I am, send me. And then last year, we saw 18 of this family travel some 5,000 miles to Costa Rica to spread the gospel. And many more of you helped. You provided financial aid. You provided supplies. And hopefully all of us prayed as they went to spread the gospel. Last year, we wanted to fortify the family. And, and this goal had a dual meaning, a dual purpose, because we knew that if your home was fortified from the enemy that's been leveling attacks on the home ever since the Garden of Eden, but if, you, if your home was built so that it could withstand those attacks of Satan, if you had that kind of mindset, if you had that kind of determination, then that would permeate the Lord's church here and we'd be stronger for the Lord. As we look forward to 2024, what kind of congregation do we want to be? Where do we want to go? Where would we like to see ourselves at the end of 2024? Lord willing, we'd like to see ourselves being more servant-minded in 2024. It's interesting to look at the language of Scripture used by many of the writers of the New Testament epistles to describe themselves. They, as, as they were introducing their letters, the Apostle Paul many times used the word bondservant. So did Peter, so did Jude. A lot of other times, the writers just introduced themselves as a servant. So what's the difference between a bondservant and a servant, is there a difference? What's the difference? A bondservant is someone who has willingly decided to live his life as a servant. A person bound to service without wages. A slave. Now, we don't want to think about ourselves that way, but that's the message of Scripture. So as we think about how we get there, we got to do something. We got to stop and look inward. And we have to ask ourselves some questions because getting where we want to go is going to require some self-reflection. It's going to require us to honestly assess ourselves. So we've got some questions we want to ask. What kind of congregation would Highland Heights be if everybody in this congregation, and then you fill in the blank. What if everybody attended like me? 
Surveys tell us 133 million adult Americans call themselves Christians, but only about a third of them have attended a service, one service, within the last month. Now, we know it's not just about coming to the building. I believe, I believe it was Brother Barry that would put it this way. Coming here and sitting in this building no more makes you a Christian than sitting in a hen house makes you a chicken. We understand that. It's not just about coming here. But I do believe it's a measure, a very visible measure of our faithfulness. Hebrews 10 gives us a bit of insight there. And most congregations today would tell you that about 75% of their average Sunday morning worship attender, attendees stay for Bible study. If you go to Sunday evening services, that number goes to about 50%. And if you ask about Wednesday night, it's less than that. You can do the math. But most of the time, this family, our attendance, is probably a bit better than average. Now, I am convinced that Satan used the pandemic four years ago to specifically, and he probably was behind it altogether, but he used it specifically to weaken the Lord's church in this area. And if we talk to other elders, to ministers, to people who keep records of these kind of things, to some degree, he was successful. Because there are a lot of churches, brothers and sisters, that still to this day, four years later, say that their attendance on Sunday morning is not back to pre-COVID levels. It's interesting to me that Christians made it back to work if you didn't get to work from home. We made it back to the grocery store. We even made it back to eating out before we made it back to attending with the faithful. Why is that? Now don't get me wrong, live streaming is a great tool. But sometimes, our work schedules may hinder us. And hopefully they're the exception. And maybe you're sick, and maybe you don't need to get out. Live streaming's there. Maybe your eyesight's not what it used to be, and, and you really don't feel safe driving at night. That service is there for you. Please take advantage of it. We're, we're happy to offer this to the Lord's church. And, and what a blessing, what a privilege it is to be able to attend when you can't get out. To be able to join in the services. But church, I think we've gotten spiritually lazy. No amens. And live streaming has become really easy to stay home and to skip coming out to services. Because, I mean, you got to admit it, it's a lot easier to sleep in. 
It's a lot easier to sit in your recliner. It's a lot easier to stay in your pajamas and have your coffee beside you than it is to come join the services. And you can check the box and feel like you've done service to the Lord. But are you encouraging other people? Why are we consciously making this decision to not be in attendance when the family of God comes together? If we can make it to the fair every night the fair's in town, and if we can make it to every ball practice our kids have or every ball game they have or whatever they have going on, nothing wrong with any of that. But if we can make it to all of those and we can't make it back on Sunday night, Wednesday night, half the time on Sunday morning, it's disappointing. It's disappointing to us as an eldership. It ought to be disappointing to you as members of this body, but it is disappointing to God disappointing to a son. Our gospel meeting last year, we had Brother Jack Wilkie here talking about stressing the importance of fortifying our homes. And folks, I got to tell you, it was poorly attended. So much so that we sat and talked about whether we should even spend that money to do it again next year. We discuss and pray a lot about those that continually absent themselves from the services. And as an eldership, we plan to do a better job of that in 2024. But we decided you can't get the right answer asking the wrong question. We ask, why don't members come? Why don't they return? And maybe that's not the right question. Maybe, maybe the question ought to be, why did they come on Sunday morning? Because I, I guarantee you, if we can get the answer to that question right, we won't have to beg people to come back. By the way, we do plan to hold a gospel meeting in 2024. What if everybody gave? Hold on. I know what you're thinking. First Sunday, and there's the elders talking about, hold on. Stay with me. I know what you're thinking, though. But would have to say, in this area, we're probably a bit above average as well. I can tell you I've been involved now in, in three annual budget preparation sessions, and I don't think I recall one request that our deacons brought to us that we said no to that we refused. We've tried to increase our mission work every year along with our benevolence budget. And we get requests in weekly from a variety of sources asking for financial help. Sometimes we say no. Sometimes we say we'll consider that for next year's budget. And sometimes we say yes, on the spot. But I can tell you too, that as we presented budgets to you, as special needs have come up, 
especial contributions were requested, you all come through. So why do we talk about this, this topic? Because Jesus did. In their book, The Truth About Giving, brothers Kyle Butt and John Farber say that about one out of every six verses in the New Testament deal with money. And about half of Jesus' parables talk about giving. They quote Brother V.P. Black as he said, there's 89 chapters in the Gospels and giving is discussed 123 times. The Bible talks more about money than it does faith, repentance, confession, baptism, church organization, and the, quality, the qualifications of elders and deacons all combined. So the question then comes up of how much? We know that God commanded his people in the Old Testament to give a tenth. But do we know that that was just the beginning? They, were also, they also were required to give the first of their flocks or their herds. They were required to leave the corners of their fields for the poor. They were required, there were special free will offerings. All totaled, the faithful Jew probably got something, probably gave something more like a third. Today, we understand probably all too well that God doesn't say give a tenth. No, God's word doesn't give us a specific amount. God's word tells us to give freely, not grudgingly, cheerfully. We're told when to give. We're told to give as we've been blessed. And we're told to give sacrificially. But we do know that because of Christ, we have it a lot better than the Israelites did. We have it better than they did. We have a better hope. We have better promises. We have a better high priest. We have a better covenant. We have a better sacrifice. Matter of fact, the whole book of Hebrews deals with how much better we have it as Christians than we would if we'd have been under the old law. And in the book I mentioned just a bit ago, the writers say they can't imagine a faithful Jew turning his life over to Christ and saying, wow, now I get to give less. But that's how we feel sometimes in the church. Doesn't make sense. Most surveys would say the average quick Christian gives somewhere between 25 and 5%. In the Great Depression, surveys said faithful Christians gave 3.3. Where do we stack up? It's between you and God. It's not something we need to know. That's between you and God. Jesus did know that it would be easy for money, for riches, for trusting in things to take our focus off of serving him and cause us to lose our souls. And we hope all of us understand it's all his anyway. If everybody studied like I did. Paul tells us in these verses to study. Some, some versions say be diligent rightly dividing the word of truth. Peter tells us, be ready always to give an answer. But do we study? Do we daily study God's word? And I'm not talking about having the verse of the day pop up on your phone and you read that and say, done. That's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's a great reminder. But I'm talking about 
you sitting down with your Bible, maybe with a devotional type guide, getting deep into God's Word, working on developing that relationship with Him, learning more about how to be pleasing to Him, to His Son, to bear fruit that resembles His Spirit. Sad, but I've heard members of the church say that they don't know where to find the plan of salvation. Why? Why is that? Are we spending time studying individually? Are we spending time as a family studying the Word of God? Satan's all too happy when we're too busy to sit down and study together. And if we're too busy to do that, folks, we are too busy. Less than one-third of our family sit down and have one meal together a day. I couldn't even find a statistic that said how many families have a daily devotion time in their homes. Uh, we do know that families are struggling, marriages are failing, and Satan is smiling. Some statistics that are available are disturbing. Most surveys we can read say between 60 and 80% of our young people will lose, they'll leave the church, they'll lose their faith. Now let's get personal. Let's just say it's 75%. And if we have 40 young people in this building, are we okay? If only 10 of them make it to heaven? Of course not. We need to do whatever we can to, to protect these guys and make sure we're establishing a faith in them that withstands what Satan's going to throw at them outside these, these walls. We'll do everything we can to provide that environment, but folks, it starts at home. And you're not going to fool these guys. If they don't see you studying your Bibles, they're going to see through that. If it's not important to us, it's not going to be important to them. What if everybody prayed? The disciples noticed something remarkably different about our Lord. He prayed a lot. He sought moments of solitude to be alone with his Father. People who need God pray. But I read that only 12% of families pray together. And sometimes we try to make prayer to something it's not. It's not mechanical. There's, there's nothing magical about it. It's not a formula. It's not a technique. Praying is a relationship with God. Christians should pray because every prayer a Christian prays gets answered. The only unanswered prayer is an unasked prayer. Now, sometimes God says yes. He did that in the Bible. We see that. I, Elijah, Hannah, Hezekiah. Sometimes God says no. He told his dear son no three times in the garden. He told the apostle Paul no three times. Sometimes God tells us no, and we just have to trust he knows better. 
He knows that whatever I'm asking for, I don't need. Sometimes he says, not yet. And sometimes he says, I got something better in mind. But we need to pray every day. Prayer doesn't change God's mind. Prayer's supposed to change us. What if everybody evangelized like I did? The Great Commission is for all, not just for ministers, not just for preachers, not just for elders. It is for all. Now, maybe you can't go overseas. What can you do? Can you invite your neighbor? Can you invite a coworker? Sure, you're liable to get turned down, and that's okay. You ask anyway. One thing we all can do, I remember hearing David Shannon years ago say that every year his mom would sit down at the first of the year and she would write down the names of three to five people that either had fallen out of the church or weren't a Christian. And she prayed for them every day. Surely, we can do that. We know three to five people that we want to see change their lives this year, this day. It may be somebody in your family. It may be your spouse. It may be somebody on the pew beside you. It may be somebody that you wish were on the pew beside you. It may be a coworker. It may be somebody at school. There are people we can reach. Do we care enough? What if everybody served like us? We t we've talked about that. The scripture reading was about that. Keith kind of kicked off this whole theme last, last week as we talked about serving like Jesus. Sunday night, FH mentioned all the different things that this congregation is involved in. There's plenty to do. Here's a special announcement. Men, we need teachers. Amen? Amen. We need men that will sign up to teach a class in this congregation. You may say, that's, that, 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 that's not me. I don't do that. You sound like Moses. What did God tell Moses? I got it. We're not telling God anything he doesn't already know, but it's going to take some effort on our part. It's going to take some study. It's going to take some time. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 5, there's a time when you ought to be teachers, and he says you're back where you need milk. He wasn't talking to elders. He wasn't talking to men. He was talking to the church. Folks, there's things that we need to be taking stock of in our lives. I will assure you, you start off, you'll get better. But it's going to take some, it's going to take some time and it's going to take some effort. And, and it might be uncomfortable. Guess what? That's okay. It, it's uncomfortable right here. But that's what God expects of us. James says we are to be doers. You can, there's something here in this congregation you can do. You can write letters. You can send cards. You can make calls. You can pick up people that can't drive anymore. There's a ton of stuff to do. It is reported in a lot of congregations, 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. That's a shame, folks. And someone said it's sad today, 
that in the Lord's church, we have ministers doing elders' jobs, we have elders doing deacons' jobs, we have deacons doing members' jobs, and we have members sitting in the pew. That's not supposed to be that way, church. We are not bench warmers. There's no second team. We're all starters. How many of us would be satisfied going to watch our kids play and every time we go see them play, they're sitting on the bench? We'd be having a conversation with the coach. Why don't you put my kid in? But then we come to the most important part of our lives and we're content to ride the bench. As we close, promise we're closing. We got to look to Jesus. That's what it comes down to. He's our example. Are we loving like Jesus? Are we serving like Jesus? Are we doing like Jesus? Luke says in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, when he's reflecting back on the book he wrote, the gospel, he says, I bring to your mind all the things that Jesus did and taught. Are we teaching like Jesus? Peter in, to Cornelius in chapter 10 says, Jesus just, he went about doing good. In the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, two, two quick points. I find it interesting that everybody was given a talent. We've all got something. None of us in this congregation have nothing to offer. Unless we did like that man that was given the one talent, we've hidden our talent for so long, the Lord comes by and he takes that talent and he gives it to someone else. Folks, to Jeff, that is scary. Don't be like that. Use what you have for the master. It's interesting, too. Jesus called everybody in that parable a servant. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. He said, depart from me, wicked and lazy servant. We're all servants. Good or bad, we're servants. Nonetheless, that's what our Lord said. Thank you, Jake, for singing that song. I want to be a worker. I heard you sing it. We all said it. I want to be a worker for the Lord. I want to love and trust his holy word. I want to be busy every day. I want to sing and pray. I want to lead the erring in the way. Did we mean it? Now, I mentioned earlier, this congregation as a whole provide, uh, performs above average. But you know, folks, we won't stand before God as Highland Heights. We won't stand before God as our own individual family. We won't even stand before God as husband and wife. We stand before God individually to give an account of what we've done in this body. What's he going to say? If you're serving to the best of your ability, every day the Lord gives you to serve, thank you. Keep up the good work. Keep at it. Encourage others. If you're a member of this congregation, and honestly, folks, if your walk 
it's not matching your talk, fix it today. And if you're not even a member of his family, maybe you've heard something today. Maybe you know that you believe in Jesus as God's son. Jesus said, unless you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. John 8, 24. He says, confess me before men. Matthew 10, 32, 33. You confess me, I'll confess you before my father. He says, repent. Luke 13, 3 and 5. And have your sins washed away. Acts 22, 16. If we can help you do any of that today, please come while we stand and sing.